This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Aaron, Aaron Jakowski, nice to have you here, man. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I, I found out your stuff, uh, found out about your work through Mark, who we had on the podcast as well. Um, and I, I just really, really appreciate you taking the time. You're only, in here, you're only in L.A. for three days, so thank you again. Pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure. Yeah, looking forward to, to uh, talking to you about my work and um, filling you with lots of imagery of uh, animal suffering. Which everyone wants on a Tuesday morning, right? It's going to be all the cheery stuff today. Yeah, I mean, well, it's 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 interesting because like your work is very, um, it's it's visceral and it gets a reaction, but it's not like, at least from my perspective, it's not like, oh my god, I can't, I can't look at that. I can at least look at it and be like, wow, I really feel, you know, for for these animals. That's good to hear because. Um... That is something that I kind of battle with is that people have enough misery in their lives. Like they don't just want to see shots of animal suffering. So you have to kind of draw the line. And if something is too upsetting, if something is too gory, then people just simply won't look at it. Um, so I think, I, and I actually think that some of these images have a, a kind of macabre beauty to them as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to feel, you know, I want people to be compelled to actually look at my imagery, but then to learn more about the story. I think where well, you can see some of the images here, which are some of my favorite shots on uh, on the homepage. Yeah, like this shot of shrimps and bycatch, you know, I think it looks like an, an abstract painting. Um, this orangutan here at a boxing match. And, you know, it has this giant noble beast surrounded by this kind of beautiful man made structure. Um, and I think the, these are images personally that I, I like to blow blow up and show them big, um, which is what we were which, talking about a little we before. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it drives me absolutely <laughs> insane how everyone digests photography these days on these you know tiny little phones. Yeah, um, these yeah. images have to be shown large, uh, which is why I like to to print them. Yeah, um, but but most people won't see them; they'll never see them that size, uh, and it. it drives me slightly mad social media does in general in fact but i know it's a necessary evil we can we can talk about this if you want and i can rant for the next hour and a half just about social media well i mean but actually we probably want to talk about something more interesting rather than we'll get no, no no i think it's all i think it's really all good stuff um i am in total agreement with you like as a filmmaker um 
you know, the short films that I've made, I put a lot of time and a lot of effort into the final product and to have it viewed on a phone is kind of like, are you really getting the full effect of the artwork? You know, you're not, you're taking away. Like if you like say one of your images, right. You you blow it up real big and you're standing in front of it. You're like, wow, this is, it's breath. It's actually breathtaking, you know, and you have a chance to get kind of wrapped in the aura of the art. Right. Mm -hmm. But then you shrink it down like this and it's just like a, a side thought, you know, you're just like, Oh, what's this? Scroll, 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 scroll. Oh, that's cool. I guess scroll, scroll, scroll. Mm -hmm. And that's it. You know, you don't have a chance to like meditate on it. Exactly. And, and because we are so inundated with imagery these days and because phones take such good photos, really. Um, so, you know, if you were to go out there and take a landscape shot of what well, I was just saying, I went to Joshua Tree National Park I and mean, taking shots on my phone that actually look, you know, really good. Yeah. And if you only see them on a phone screen, it doesn't look that different to something that you would take on on my 5D Mark IV. Um, it's really when you start blowing images up to their full size that you can start to appreciate them properly. So how do you how do you um, how do you dish out your photography to people? Like you have an Instagram. I have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm not I'm not very good at using it. I don't <laughs> I don't understand it very well. I have, you know, four followers and now I have more than that. Actually I uh, <laughs> you have five. Six. Yeah, I've got five now. <laughs> yes. Are you gonna follow me? Excellent. I got you, yeah. Excellent. Twenty percent more. <laughs> Um, Facebook has been a pretty big thing for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I get a lot of engagement, um, from my posts on Facebook. Uh, so I put a story up recently about, um, this turtle conservation center in Bali. Mm -hmm. They keep these turtles in the most like appalling conditions imaginable. And they had snakes with their mouths taped shut and I just absolutely hideous. Um, and I put the images on Facebook on my professional page. Uh, Aaron Tchaikovsky, environmental photojournalist. There it is. There it is. Uh, and I think they reached 1.7 million people, you know, very, very quickly. Um, so I do have quite kind of loyal following on Facebook. And I know that if I put out a powerful story, that it's going to get shared a lot and seen by a lot of people. Um, but being up against the, the fact that Facebook is definitely... Um, becoming less popular i think now uh, and i know that platforms like instagram are probably the way to go but i find them very a i find them it's instagram so so shallow it's just you know shots of people looking hot which is great yeah you know it's good for escapism for you know 30 seconds a day um but i find actually for serious material like mine instagram isn't a very good platform for me and, and, and facebook you can you know you can share articles you get much more comments and engagement and i just find that that's maybe i'm a dinosaur i don't know i think that at some point there will be a better platform that comes available for photographers because yeah. at the moment we don't have anything that is quite perfect that's a good point that's a good point and especially for your work too which is more serious and yep. you, you have there's like a huge message behind your stuff mm -hmm. you know like the, the photography i post on on my instagram is just like oh cool scenery or whatever there's not really more to it than that yeah, it's I th yeah, that's it. I think Instagram can be quite kind of uh, quite vacuous, I guess. And people just go on there for a little bit of escapism throughout their day to to look at a hot girl. Yeah, uh, and sure. actually, they don't want to go to Instagram to learn anything serious or to be educated about uh, animal welfare issues. Yeah, so I mean, at least at the, at the end of the day, like you have your Facebook page, and it is a platform for you to put out your stuff and like grow an awareness 
you know, for people and be like, hey, this is a thing. You know, these animals are being treated in this way in these different countries. Like, take a look at this, you know, and people are actually able to sink into that a little bit, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's good. Exactly, exactly. So it is there and I, I can use it. But I've the way I kind of prefer to get my um, message out there is through uh, different mediums. So it's whether it's uh, film. So I also uh, make environmental films, uh, magazines, um, you know, big competitions. Uh, competitions have been a great way to, to get the message out there. Um, I won Wildlife Photographer of the Year two years ago, I think it was. Um, for a shot that's on my homepage there of elephants uh, in a palm oil plantation. And the amount of awareness that that image created was just incredible. I had images from, I mean, um, emails from people all over the world who said, like, I didn't even know that Borneo had elephants, let alone the fact that there's only 1,500 of them left and that they're threatened with extinction. They're like, I knew everything about orangutans in Borneo, but yeah, nothing about the elephant situation. Um, yeah, this is this is all so, new to me. This is all like I, I don't really know much about this well, kind of stuff. Well, this is the power of photography. Yeah, um, that it really uh, is such a powerful educational tool. Um, so look, you know, I try and use as many different means to get the message out there as as possible, um, because as, as I kind of touched upon earlier, conservation is one of those very tricky subjects, and everyone like when you go and you speak to broadcasters. So at the moment, we're in the middle of pitching two con conservation series. So I've been working on two broadcast pilots for different series. So one of them is about the exotic pet trade, mm -hmm. and one of them is about the wildlife tourism industry, uh, which is about this campaign called Raise the Red Flag that I've been working on for the last two years. And you're going out there, and I, I had a meeting with um, Netflix's main production company in Bristol recently, and they kind of looked at me like, they were like, oh this is a very nice idea, like in the most kind of patronizing voice, like, oh, well done, you've been, you know, in the jungle <laughs> making these important shows, but Netflix, they want cute and cuddly now. <laughs> so that's that's what we're up against, um, is that, um, yeah, conservation has kind of traditionally been seen as almost a, a dirty word in the media. It's depressing or it's boring or it's for anoraks. I think things are changing, which was why it was so surprising for me to hear that mm -hmm. about Netflix, is that it does seem that, you know, people really are, getting into conservation but again it comes back to that fact that a lot of the time people want to turn on the television because they they want escapism and they don't want to be bombarded with more negativity so what yeah. we try and do particularly in our films is they it can't just be negativity throughout it has to have um some hope at the ending so this film that we've been working on about orangutan tourism which is the pilot for um for this series on raise the red flag so we've been looking at the very worst orangutan tourism operators mm -hmm. uh, from the, you know, the worst zoos to, to places where they're forced to um, perform and box each other um, to places where they're out in the wild and people are feeding them and like it's just an absolute shit show. Yeah, actually, can, can we pull up the picture of the orangutan with the boxing gloves? And you have a couple photos of that, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go to my yeah galleries and then you go to wildlife tourism. And there was another image um, further down of what could, for me, there's nothing like, you know, a, an emaciated orangutan in a bikini to kind of get people uh, feeling something. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. But, and, and this is why I've never been that interested in traditional wildlife photography. I don't I don't want to go and take a photograph of an orangutan in a tree eating a fruit. 
That, it's like everyone everyone does that. It's meaningless. Right? It's meaningless. But actually, yeah, you you take a shot of one in a in a boxing ring being exploited, and 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 also it's creating something that is completely unique. Uh, and I know that a lot of the images that you're you're scrolling through now, shots like this have not been taken before, and that's what excites me so much about it. Yeah. So these are. So this is the last um, two years I have been traveling around the world uh, documenting cruelty in the wildlife tourism industry. Um, I started in Thailand a couple of years ago um, just because I'd, I'd been living in Borneo where I was presenting uh, wildlife shows in Borneo and had just seen a lot of these terrible zoos and performances. Um, so I got a little bit of um, money from a, a private donor and said, look, I want to go to Thailand and explore it properly. Went there documented it including the boxing orangutans and and various hideous zoos and and you know just a lot of the places that were actually covered in, in a nat geo article recently mm-hmm. um released them to the media and they just it they, they went everywhere um because wildlife tourism is is one of those issues i think that it really affects everyone like there's not a single person here here in the studio today that wouldn't have been to a zoo wouldn't have been to an aquarium that wouldn't have you know maybe ridden on an elephant at some point everyone yeah. is affected by wildlife tourism um so that's why it, it became and I, I i sort of slowly realized when i got that kind of outpouring from the public and i got so many people contacting me from around the world is that this was a much bigger issue than i had um thought so that was when I started to go and investigate it in other different countries Yeah, um, as a photojournalist. And then I also um, realized that there wasn't a platform so people could allow their voices to be heard. So a lot of the time people would get in touch with me and they would say, well, I've seen this terrible place. What, what do I do about it? Who do I go to? Can I report it somewhere? And there wasn't anything available to people. So I came up with the idea to create a platform called Raise the Red Flag. Um, so it meant that you could um, you can go online and if you see an animal being abused in the wildlife tourism industry, then you can make a report. Uh, so built the platform um, and then went to um, Born Free Foundation. Um, do you do you know them? No, I, I I don't. I just want to just just take one step back. So when you say make a report, who's the report sent to? Well, that was it. so the report would then come through to to a, a central moderator who would then um, have the necess- necessary skills to be able to say actually you know this isn't this isn't right something needs to be done we need to go and investigate this we need to work with the authorities to help this animal so that was where where I started to become unstuck because I was like I showed it to to a, you know, a lot of colleagues and mm-hmm. friends and said what do you think of this idea and they were like it's a great idea but what happens when you start getting hundreds or thousands of reports what are you going to do with them i was like yeah that's uh you know that's a pretty good point i don't know yeah (laughs) which is a major which is a major stumbling block because i'm a i'm a photographer like i'm not um yeah i'm into animal welfare but i'm not trained in it Uh, i'm not a zoologist i'm not biologist yeah yeah so that was then i was like right okay well maybe i need to work with an ngo who can actually take over this side of things so I went and I spoke to Born Free Foundation, who had actually commissioned me to go to some other places to document abuse in the wildlife tourism industry. Um, and I said, look, you know, this platform has been built. Why don't you guys take it on and continue sending me 
off to different destinations around the world to do what I do best, which is photograph things. Cool. So they said, great. You know, they were looking to overhaul their, their reporting system anyway. They, they loved the idea. They loved the brand. And they took it on and spent kind of 18 months populating the site. Um, and then we had a big launch in London in August. Uh, and we have various uh, celebrity patrons on board. And, and the platform has got a lot of publicity. And I really think that Born Free uh, have the expertise uh, and resources to take the platform to the next level because I, I, I simply don't. And I, I don't have the will to do it. I don't have the knowledge. For sure. Yeah, no, it sounds like you did a really good job with like combining your passion of photography with something that the world needs, you know, an awareness yeah. for, you know, this abuse that goes on um, with animals in this industry. So like wh where does the, where's the line drawn? Is it like any zoo is bad or like, you know, I was in uh, I was in Bali, Monkey Forest. You know, like they were, you know, which is a big old area in the middle of Ubud, and they were swinging from the trees and like getting bananas and having a good time. So, like, you know, like that would mm -hmm. that be how do, how do you know? Do you have to really dig in and investigate, or is it something that like as a tourist you go and you see it and you're like, whoa, that's kind of jacked up. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty open. Yeah, it's it's very hard to know. Yeah, uh, and the, this is one of the problems that we're facing is um. Well, first of all, there's there's a lot of greenwashing that goes on. So there are so many places around the world that, that call themselves conservation centers. And it is utter bullshit. Like, it could not be further from the, from the truth. And they just use it to, as a way of getting people through the door and, and to make money. Make money. Um, so how do you know which are the good places and which are the bad ones? Well, that's difficult. That's partly where Raise the Red Flag comes in. Uh, and if it's, if it's on there, then it's a place that you shouldn't go and visit. There are kind of general rules when it comes to wildlife tourism. So any places where you can touch an animal or get close enough to um, take a selfie with it, or if you can uh, ride it, mm -hmm. or if it's used in performances, then you shouldn't go. That makes sense to me. Like circuses? Circuses, yep. Absolute <sighs> no-go. Um, and places are starting to catch up. In, in England, um, they're banning animals used in circuses. But I've just been on a tour around Europe um, for the NGO Four Paws uh, to document uh, wildlife tourism attractions around Europe because yeah. it's very easy sometimes to scapegoat like Southeast Asian countries and say, oh, this is just happening. This is just happening in Asia. And, uh, you know, and then you have that kind of white savior thing of going in and saying, no, this is bad. You shouldn't be doing that. Whereas actually it's happening all over the world. Mm -hmm. It's happening right here in America. It's happening in England. It's happening all over Europe. Uh, so I just went and documented like, um, you know, elephant riding in, in Germany. Uh, there was a circus in the Czech Republic that was like horrendous, had a like this really malnourished bear on a skateboard. It had lions that were being whipped and, you know, used mm. in performance. Um, it had zebra, it had camels. And that's at a, a traveling circus in the Czech Republic. Uh, sure. And if if these are the things that you see... Um, with your own eyes. Imagine, yeah. imagine what's happening actually behind happening yeah, behind closed doors. Totally. And we saw some of the trailers where the animals are kept. Um, I do think I have an image of this. Actually, I've got some some shots. If you go back to the gallery, you can see some some imagery from this recent trip. Um, yeah, this one. Yeah, it's this gallery. So if you scroll down. Oh, yeah, look, there's the lions. You can see them up, up a bit. Go up. Yeah, and on the right there. 
And these, these lions were just, they were seriously unhappy. And if you scroll to the left, that's an, this was an elephant that was um, used in a circus in Germany. Dang. Um, where this, oh, yeah, that's another image on the left of uh, elephants used in the Czech Republic in a circus. So one down. Yeah, there's just like these puppets, you know, just like these, yeah, yeah. these things to be exploited. You know, exploited. That, yeah, I don't is, know yeah. why mankind feels that. Why do we feel like everything, every other living being is just there for us to either exploit or, or to enjoy? And that oh, that's the shot oh, of man. the yeah. orangutan in the bikini. That the one, middle. That one nature photographer of the year last year. That one's crazy. Um, yeah, it's pretty emotional, emotional shot. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's, it's happening absolutely everywhere. And it's, uh, I do think that people are starting to take these issues more seriously. Uh, and that is where, uh, the media plays a, a very important role to start taking more interest in some of these stories. How'd you get in all of this? How did I get into it? Well, um, I'm actually trained as a copywriter. Uh, so I worked in London, um, for publishing companies in my early twenties. And then I started a modeling agency with uh, my best mate from school. I did that for, for four or five years, which was, you know, good fun in your, in your mid twenties. Mm -hmm. But then more and more, I started to kind of look in the mirror and not like what I saw. Um, I think that's, that's physically, you know, my, my skin was getting more sort of orange and my, my hair more bleached and my teeth whiter. Um, but that was also, I kind of couldn't, didn't want to live with doing that anymore. It's such a shallow industry. Um, do you surf? I don't know. Okay. I don't. Because based off, I could see, I could see you surfing. Uh, right. I could yeah. see you surfing now, with a lot that of description. People, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I actually don't. I don't. It's, uh, it takes up too much time. It'd be, it'd be a lot. Yeah. It'd be a yeah, lot. exactly. So I then, um, yeah, I decided, okay, like I'd always loved wildlife films. Um, and I thought if I'm going to make a major change in my life, I was in my late twenties, this is the time to do it. So I, yeah, I went to bed one night didn't sleep a wink and I was like, well, I'm doing, I'm leaving. Um, and I went off around the world and started diving and then started looking into more into marine conservation. Uh, and then I went and did a wildlife filmmaking course in South Africa. And then I went to Mozambique, um, bought myself a, an underwater camera and housing, went to learn underwater film in Mozambique, met cool. some guys making a documentary on shark finning and then spent a couple of years living, living in Mozambique, uh, making this film. And I was, it was just fascinating. Like for the first time in my life, it was like I actually kind of you know, felt alive and I was learning about the ocean and about conservation and about diving and about living in Africa. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just like, like a sponge kind of absorbing everything. Did you feel like you had a, a purpose or was it just a passion that, that you felt at that time? Uh, both. Yeah. Both. I, I suddenly, yeah, I felt like this is... Um, it sounds a bit cliched or a bit corny, but I thought like this is what I'm meant to be doing with my life. And that feeling hasn't changed. This was 10 years ago. And oh, I still man. feel this every single day. I'm, I'm incredibly lucky. Oh. There's not that many people who can say I have found what I'm meant to do. I know I was meant to and I will do this for the rest of my life. That's amazing. Unless I have a nervous, nervous breakdown first, which <laughs> could, could easily happen. But I mean, even <laughs> even if you do, I feel like you would still there. There'd still be like a, a spark, you know, or, or a passion to pursue, you know, at some point, right? You sounds it sounds like you found your calling. 
yeah i think yeah i think i have and what um what i'm so lucky with is that um there's so many i shouldn't say lucky that's really the wrong word um but there's so many stories out there that need more exposure so i'm constantly working across different species in different countries and continents and the far corners of the earth wow to document these issues so i feel like i could never get bored you know i'm just that's good organizing a well i'll give, give you an example like i'm currently on a trip four months away uh, i've been to 16 countries so far uh, across four continents working on three different broadcast films at the moment um and then currently organizing projects through to you know may next next year so it's really really busy which is great um it's it's not without its downsides it's it's very tiring um it's very stressful uh working sometimes in dangerous situations um probably not great on your mental health um and you don't get any stability like i'm constantly living out of a bag um and it would be nice to at least i'm 39 like i, I was just joking to my friend that i don't own any keys like I'm a 39 year old who has no keys surely like some even to you know a bike or a something but no I don't have one I mean that sounds kind of cool though you know like, like you don't have to worry about any of that stuff it does that yeah it nice. does it does sound cool I guess in a way but it's um it can be unsettling unsettling so I've got used to it now like I, I'm now used to the fact that you just pack and move in a, yeah. in a moment's notice um but it's that's not to say that it doesn't take its toll what do you do to relax what do you do to chill and like i drink whiskey okay <laughs> what kind <laughs> Any, anything that's put in front of me um yeah people always say like how do you cope with these um slightly distressing um projects that you work on i'm like well i have my my therapist on speed dial and a bottle of whiskey in the other hand <laughs> and they kind of balance each other out um so to relax um i don't don't do a lot of that i suppose i oh man i don't do a lot of it because it's it's been so crazy that you're just going from project to project to project um i guess you know i'll go and try and go home to the uk and see my family they just scooped me up uh it was a couple of months ago i came back from from the jungles of um borneo for this film on orangutan tourism mm -hmm. and they just picked me up from the airport and they were like what has happened to you oh man like come home sit on the couch <laughs> and we're just going to feed you and like you're you're going to sleep because it's uh like you're working you know really 16 hour days in the jungle like non-stop travel we've just been um it had just taken us four days to travel across indonesia on public transport because we're always you know we have small budgets for things. Yeah. We're always trying to cut corners. Carrying like, um, you know, 60 kilos of, of luggage each um, on planes, trains, automobiles, public transport. You know, and we were traveling for four days across Indonesia for one interview. Wow. Uh, and it's, you know, it's exhausting. It's really, really tiring. Um, but like, I, sh I shouldn't really complain because, um, you know, I wouldn't, there's nothing else in the world I'd rather be doing but just sometimes you need to go and you need to then just like lock yourself away from the world and just completely 
de-stress. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm big into yoga and trying to meditate. Meditating is very difficult. It is. It <laughs> it's is very It's di- like the hardest thing. They're like, yeah, cut your mind off. Don't think about anything. I'm like, but I want to think about things. Yeah. I, I like thinking about the things that they're telling me not to think about. I know. I know. Um, but no, I agree. Like you need some way of, um, yeah, of, of just completely cutting off. Yeah. Uh, whether that's whether it's exercise, whether it's reading, whether it's movies, that you you can't just immerse yourself in these subjects all the time. Um, so now you're going to have to give me some tips about meditating. Oh, for sure. I, I just know a little, little bit of stuff. I read one book once and I practiced and I did yoga teacher training and that was about it. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that's good. That's but, a start. Yeah, I mean, from what I gathered, it's just like a muscle, you know, you, no one wants to work out. Like working out kind of sucks. Yeah, it does. It, at the end, of the, when you're done, it's like, oh, I feel great. I feel awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. I did it. It was hard and I went through it. And it's like, like, I guess the same with meditating. Like you just got to be like, this kind of sucks and got to get into that flow. And, and then afterwards it's worth it. It's nice. Yeah. And you take a breath in and ah, I feel like I can slow down now. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm opposed to it as well. Cause I've been living in Bali a little bit and there are like so many of these like yogi kind of like meditators who walk around in their elephant pants. And Dude. Like, I, <laughs> and then they like take pictures of themselves, like being so spiritual. Yeah. I'm like, if this is meant to be such a personal thing, then why the hell are you like in your underwear on a rock, like meditating and telling all of your vacuous followers about it? Like, I, sorry, I was saying I, I wasn't going to get into this subject again. Um, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's it's fine. Are you sure? Yeah, I, I was in Bali for a yoga retreat for like ten days, and some of these people were like that. Yeah, uh, some of these people for sure. And like, it was it was cool though. Like, we were in Ubud, like the like sent the yoga like area and christian's actually going uh later later this year too so he's amped about it oh you're gonna be in elephant pants in no time dude i bought elephant pants did you i bought elephant pants i straight up bought out but i they didn't fit afterwards i'm I'm gone i'm gone (laughs) i'm out of here (laughs) i was like i can get into the elephant pant vibe right now it looks really comfy but man it was it was a good time Uh, i think the most like the most intense thing though that happened when i was there um, we, we went to these different, I forget the name of, I forget the name of the communities, but basically there's like all these little communities of homes and families and, you know, they're all off kind of on the side of the road and they're, they're old. They kind of look like each one is a temple and we went into one and, um, we were bringing eggs, coffee, and rice to families that couldn't afford that. And I was like, okay, this will be interesting. See what's going down here. And we did it three times. And on the second one, um, we went to this family, man, and it was like this. They were living out of this concrete cube. And like in the back corner in the dark, there was like one cot on the ground. And um, there was four or five kids, um, grandma, grandpa, mom and dad. And one of the kids was mentally challenged. And I was like, oh, my God, dude. Oh, this is so rough. This is so rough. But I looked at them and, like, they they looked happy, you know. And we brought them the stuff. We brought them the eggs and the rice and the coffee. And, like, the grandma started crying. Dude, I, I, I couldn't handle it. It was, it was sad. It was sad for sure. And, and I'm standing there just, like, trying to take it in, you know, just trying to take the moment in. And, and then the group is like, yo, let's get a picture with them. Let's get a picture with them. And I was like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And they all got together and like took a picture with 
everybody like as the grandma's crying and like holding his eggs i'm like guys no 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 pictures like let's and, just chill right and now. then they want to send it to show it online <laughs> on social media and show the good that they've been doing presumably right uh, potential like i'm that sh- i'm sure that may have happened i don't know exactly what happened after what they did with those pictures but i was just like man i i, I stepped out i was like i'm not gonna be in that picture that's kind of awkward but you know i i i kind of there was a a, a tiny part of me that felt like this family is happy, you know, though they have basically nothing besides themselves. You know, they have the family and the community um, and they're they were able to live on the most minimal amount of stuff, you know, and I thought that was cool. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, some of the t- there will be other stresses, of course, that you know, you won't see. Um, and, you know, there's, like I lived, I was in Africa for, for, for six years and that was often people would come and they would say, well, people seem, they seem very happy. But actually, you know, for example, infant mortality is, is through the roof and they might have lost two children or like this, the stresses are, are very different there. Um, so I, I don't know whether it's safe to say that the, what you see on the outside is actually the, the true reflection of the story. Oh, I, I think certainly not. Yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, there, there, there's different stresses there. Um, but for sure, um, have been kind of like cut off from some of the things that we are constantly subjected to um, living, and, and particularly you here in LA, for example, and what I experienced living in London, that constant pressure to, to further yourself or to, you know, you can do anything you want. So it's constantly, constantly, constantly. Yeah. So then that leads to discontent because you're always thinking, well, I, I could do this or I could do this. Or I could do something else. Whereas actually, if you grow up and you know that you will then go on to do a certain type of job or you will go on just to work with your family, there's none of that expectation. There's peace in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think some of the mental pressures that, that we face. Uh, growing up in the in the Western world and the developed world are, are quite intense, and that's why I think you, know, you see so many so many mental health issues, um, particularly amongst kind of our generation. That's interesting. Yeah, constantly striving for something bigger and better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I feel it. You know, I'm here in Los Angeles and I'm trying to figure out what's the best thing for my career. How do I further myself? How do I make more money? And then you know, my parents are in in Georgia, and I hadn't I I talked to them maybe once a month. I see them once a year and, you know, I'm just thinking like, am I selfish being out here doing this stuff just for myself? You know, it's like, I got to survive. Right. You know, I eventually want to get married and have a kid and, and all this, but sometimes I feel selfish, you know, going for that, that, that constant Chasing your dream. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, is it going to be like this when I'm 80? Yeah. Hopefully if I live to 80, <laughs> it, possibly it could be. Yeah. yeah. That middle class cycle of discontent, but I think it's I think it's cool though. Because you found something that you love, your passion, right? And you're you're going with that. And despite how difficult it may be, you know that that's what you need to do, and you're going with it, and you love it still. Yes, yes, I do. That's uh, great. I'm constantly challenged by it, um, and creatively as well. I think that is a big thing to be constantly stimulated by something and mm-hmm. to always try and grow as a photographer and grow your, I was going to use the word art form, but it sounds a wee bit pretentious. Um, but yeah, yeah, your art form. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And con- constantly learning, um, 
whether it's from different photographers or through YouTube tutorials, um, you constantly keep having to push the boundaries creatively. Absolutely. Because like without a challenge, you're going to be bored. Yeah. And if it's too much of a challenge, it's, you know, you might dip out, yes. you know? So I think it's finding that, that perfect challenge um, in your area, you know? Um, well, and it's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. Yeah. yeah. Environmental photography, like your moment can be like one second. Yeah. You miss it and that, that image is gone or you get your shot. It's like, it's not framed right. It's not quite in focus. And then I'm constantly kicking myself mm. uh, and, and thinking I could have done a better job and lamenting my, my skills as a photographer, uh, which is good and bad. Um, cause I think I, I give myself an unnecessarily hard time sometimes. Um, but also if you weren't striving for protect, uh, for perfection yes. in your work, then you would, um, you would never grow and you'd I, be stuck yeah. at, the, at the same level. Same, same with you as a filmmaker, right? I feel the exact same way. Mm -hmm. It has to be perfect. You're not going to get there, but there mm -hmm. is a strive for perfection and lots of detail. Exactly. Lots of detail. Exactly. With environmental photography, I always say that there's there's four facets that I'm looking for okay. in for a great environmental photograph. Okay. And number one, that's an unusual subject. Um, so we'll use my um, elephant shot as an example. Unusual subject. That's um, pygmy elephants in, in Borneo. Uh, do you want to pull so shot? You can go, if you just go back to galleries, there actually might be a couple of images that fulfill this criteria. At the top, environmental yeah, there's a, there's a couple of images that might fulfill this criteria. So top left is the elephant shot. This is good too because the people who the the people who listen to this podcast, you know, they're up and coming filmmakers, photographers, yeah. and creatives. So this is going to be great for people listening now yeah. who want to have advice, want to get advice from a, from a professional like yourself. Yeah. So well, first of all, yeah, can you find yourself an unusual subject? Uh, and here we have fifteen hundred of these animals endemic to Borneo left. Are these subjects? displaying some type of interesting behavior christian go back to the and then you see the elephants they are all they're, they're in a herd there's three generations here uh they're huddled together seemingly trying to comfort each other um and then we have a dramatic setting and it doesn't get much more dramatic than this palm oil plantation that was actually being replanted it's this desolate desecrated man-made scene from hell uh, and then we have some type of uh, appropriate or dramatic lighting uh, here it's it's very overcast so the lighting was even we have these dark clouds on the horizon uh, and if you can, can combine those four facets subject behavior setting lighting then you have images that will win major awards it's probably only happened to me probably a handful of times in my work like if you go back to the to the gallery to my environmental gallery how many of those how many of these images actually fulfill all of those all of that criteria not that many um maybe oh this is this is a shot i just took of the otter if you just go to the left this is a shot i really like i took recently um is this from, japan yes yeah, it's japan i was making a film about otters and the exotic pet trade um and like we were saying earlier creating a completely unique image is one of the greatest thrills and challenges for an environmental photographer. And I can guarantee you that no one has ever taken anything that looks like this photo. So here we have um, uh, 
a young girl in a Tokyo apartment, uh, and they have uh, pet otters. Um, this is a bit of a craze in Southeast Asia that they're, they're keeping otters as exotic pets, despite the fact that otters make the worst pets possible, and often they've been stolen from the wild. The, the parents are killed in order to get the babies. Um, so it's really quite a complex issue. And, and, and the young child was just, you know, looking out to the uh, city and you have the skyline there. And she, yeah, she was just yeah, having a look out to the city. And then suddenly the otter ran across the windowsill. You have all the child's toys on the left um, and just, yeah, perfect framing. So I think that's, yeah, that's kind of one of my favorite images. Actually, my favorite images always change depending on the <laughs> job that I've just been yeah. on. Uh, there are there are a couple of shots that I've taken that will always kind of be favorites of mine, uh, but but yeah, it changes all all the time depending on what I'm working on. The one of the woman uh, diving spearfishing, yes, that one is so good. Where? Oh my goodness! Be? Like the like that might be under marine conservation. Was was that like a candid photo, or did you ever pose? And uh, this was a story. Yes, yeah, just down to the left. Yeah, there, that lady. That's on my homepage. That's so good. So this. Um, we made a series um, about a year ago called Timor Leste from Below. Um, actually, um, all of your listeners can go to www.scubazoo.tv um, to see some of the environmental series that we've made. Cool. Uh, and this was a 10 part show all about uh, Timor Leste or East Timor, which is a tiny little country um, next to Indonesia uh, in Southeast Asia. Absolutely fascinating place, still recovering from war. Um, not that many visitors or tourists at all, but has the most incredible marine resources. Um, I'm actually going to be there in uh, two weeks, um, leading a photography tour out there. Uh, and we're going to see they have uh, an annual blue whale migration. Oh, well. Uh, they have resident sperm whales. They have resident dugong. They have thousands of dolphins. There's 25 cetacean species just in this small body of water and there's no other boats there's no other tourists so you can go out on the boat and in a single day you have the opportunity to see yeah blue whales sperm whales thousands of dolphins and potentially if you want to then a dugong in the morning what's I'm a not, do what's a dugong dugong is it's like a manatee okay um so you're diving in you're diving in and taking shots like this uh, so, so so sorry going back that was a very long-winded um way for me to explain this uh this photo so on one of the islands uh off the coast of dili which is the capital of, of east timor there's an island called atoro which has technically the world's most biodiverse reef uh, more more fish and coral species counted by conservation international uh, on one dive than anywhere else on on the planet wow and they have this community of females who decided like they, they saw all of their partners who were going out fishing and feeding the family and making money and they, they thought well why can't we do this as well so they formed a group called uh, the Wawata Topu which means um, women that dive uh, and they yeah they taught themselves how to uh, how to spearfish and they, they do it in all of their traditional clothing using these amazing handmade goggles and if you go back to the gallery a second yeah you can see on the right yeah that's one of the uh, ladies that's a good shot Thank you very much. Yeah, that's um, using a 35 mil lens. I, I quite like to use that lens for portraits, which is a bit unusual, but it gives that uh, very like visceral kind of looming in feeling that mm -hmm. you wouldn't get. I find sometimes like if you shoot portraits with a 50 mil, 85 mil, 100 mil, it flattens everything too yeah, much. Yeah. But here, like, you know, you get these 
warts that are really like uh, popping out at you. Yeah, there's depth on this for sure. Yeah, exactly. You get every pore in the skin. So, um, yeah, I think kind of that that's something that I've been trying to build into my photography is using uh, unusual techniques that might not be applied to uh, conservation photography. So I've been uh, getting some tips, for example, from like a, a good friend of mine is a very high-end fashion photographer, and he's just given me some very simple tips that he uses. And I'm like, well, what if we can apply some of these to uh, environmental photography? Like, how cool would that be? So, that, so if you go back, I'll give you another example. So if you go back to the wildlife tourism section and scroll down, scroll down, okay, left, yeah, middle, middle image. That orangutan there, yeah. So this um, image was taken using Christmas tree lights, uh, which was just an idea that I came up with. Um, so it's holding uh, Christmas tree lights in front of your lens and then shooting through them. And you get this very cool kind of uh, lens flare type feel to it. And again, it just it adds something different to an image. Without, without that... I think I've shown it to a lot of photographers and it's either kind of love, love it or loathe it. A lot of them are like, that is ridiculous. <laughs> that, that is such a stupid idea. It would be much better without those. Photos. But actually, I think it adds something a little bit different. Yeah, um, I see what you're saying. Because otherwise it'd be kind of just fur on the left. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and yeah, he's he's given me sort of lots of other tools and ideas that I'm now experimenting with. And, and one of the big things is is lighting every fashion and commercial photographer knows that photography is is all about lighting um but what if you can take those lighting principles that are used for commercial photography and apply mm-hmm. that and apply them to env- environmental photography i think that'd be really cool so now i um i always travel with sort of like a basic softbox kit um in order to try and get so if you go if you go back and it really does make a huge difference. Scroll up. Really does make a massive difference to how your imagery looks. Uh, I don't see. It. No, it might be in the um, environmental section. This is good because I want to talk okay. about what's yeah, in your... Yeah, on uh... the right, top right. Yeah, that, that shot. So there we have the backlighting from the morning sun. But then I just have uh, my director on the right who is using this like very cool, lightweight... Uh, softbox system um which i use the godox ad ad 200 and you carry that um, around in the I bag car- i carry it around it's only like it's like this big but geez they're powerful they're they're like almost as powerful as pro photos but also probably about 20 percent of the price nice um and and they're just yeah so so i'll have that and i will have like a speed light as well so then you can have a bit of fill in um but sometimes of course you don't you don't have time for this. Like yeah, I was saying earlier, yeah. that might, moment might be gone in a second. I used to have a more scattergun approach to photography. Just, yeah, just just try and cover the scene as much as possible. And now I try and go in with a little bit more of a plan. Like I would rather come away from a scene with one or two shots that I love yeah. as opposed to 10 shots that are good. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So this was a... This was a, a shot that I, I had in mind when I was approaching. This is at the um, Borneo Orangutan Survival Foundation in Kalimantan in, in Borneo. And, and 
I've seen these shots of the orangutans uh, being pushed around in wheelbarrows a lot, and they're often shot with an 85 mil lens or you know the 70 to 200 long lens compressed being pushed down a, a platform and i thought actually you know let's use this this 35 mil 16 to 35 again mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which also just gives it much more of a kind of visceral feeling i really like using a close focus wide angle for environmental photography because well, you're there it's like you're part of the scene yeah versus you, just a flat distant zoomed in you want people not just to see the animal but to actually be the animal yeah um and like if you go back to um i'll give some maybe some more examples of this uh so go yeah yeah that that on the left uh that rat if you go up a bit so this no sorry close that yeah that one yeah i think Wait, that what, was, what that is was, what is that i was almost shot with a fish eye actually What's in his nose? Um, it's actually not coming out of its nose. It's coming out of a uh, of its harness, which is behind its head. It just looks like it's coming out of its nose, which is a bit unfortunate. But these are rats in Cambodia that have been trained to sniff out landmines. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and these rats are they're saving lives out there, and because um, Cambodia again still recovering from war, and it's got millions of these um, landmines still in all the fields well scattered all over the whole country so they're using these rats that can now sniff them out um so i covered that as a story for asian geographic magazine but yeah i think that was that was using a fisheye lens it means that you can get really close to the subject yeah and it means that yeah again like like i was saying you you want people not just to see it but to actually be it uh, and that's something that i have applied to the a lot of the wildlife tourism images so if we go back to wildlife tourism Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, top one, top middle, top middle there, same thing. I think that shot at maybe 16 mil. Uh, and I think it's just a, a very powerful tool. I think actually, I because I, I started, a lot of my photography was underwater. Yeah. And underwater, the rule is to get close and then get closer again, because you want to minimize the amount of water between yourself and the subject. Okay. To, and that's in order to get the the crispest crispest image. Um, I see, and and the the best colors. Uh, so that's why underwater photographers shoot almost oh. everything with it with a fisheye lens because you you want to you want to be shooting from here. Yeah. You know, if I if I shoot you as a subject, me to you, murky meter away. Yeah, you get too many particles, too much water between you. Uh, but you if you actually get on top of your subject, then you'll get the uh, the best results. That's so, cool. So that was when I started. Um, applying it more to environmental photography to quite powerful um quite powerful effects but i think it, you, you you're constantly changing it you do want to have your own style and your own signature but you also don't want to want to just stick to that you don't want to pigeonhole yourself yeah you got to reinvent a little bit that's what yeah which is what i said which is why i started using uh slightly different tool. i've actually got my camera bag here yeah i wanted to ask about that do you, do you want me to bring it up yeah i don't know if i've got a lot of my my bits and bobs in here this might just be more oh yeah no i've stripped a lot of i've stripped a lot of stuff out um but okay here's a here's a little tour of my stripped down camera bag do you want to hear do you want to bring this up like this okay thanks all right so uh 5d mark IV, which uh i upgraded to recently i had a, a wonderful donor P people are amazing like i have so much support for my work because 
that's always one of the biggest challenges is how do you actually fund this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one one of the things that I struggle with the most is is actually getting funding for these projects. But sometimes, you know, people will contact me and be like, you know, I saw that you were interested in a new camera. Like, maybe I can help you out. And, and you know, some guy then put $2,000 in my account the next day. That's and awesome. Someone That's bought nice. me a drone. Someone bought me a, a GoPro 7 yesterday, which is really nice. Like, you know, I feel kind of bad about it. But uh, as long as you use it, you got to use it. As long as you use it for the for the right <laughs> purposes yeah then that's then that's okay i think so um then lenses um i don't have my i just bought the tamron 150 to 600 which is amazing the g2 oh my goodness uh but it's a beast to well, carry this, around what that, would be here yeah yeah but the image stabilization is insane like you're shooting handheld 600 mil at 140th and still getting sharp oh my God. images it's, wow it's beautiful and it's not that expensive uh, the main consideration for me is always, um, well, of course, budget, but also weight. Yeah. Uh, ev- everything comes with me wherever I go. Yeah. So I have to have, but, but and you, know what it, you know what it's like. You're like, oh, but they're nice. wouldn't it be nice if I had this prime lens or this prime lens or I can't travel without this? So then it, it starts growing very quickly. So I just have to kind of limit myself to, to this camera bag. And then yeah. I have another small bag for, for lighting. Yes. Uh, and then my clothes, and that's pretty. So, that's pretty much all I travel with. So are you are you out there like with this on your back, and then yep. the lighting one on your front? The lighting one goes in my suitcase with my uh, clothes. Okay. So so, so I, I have those yeah those two bags. But again, like I said, a very simple softbox. Yeah. Uh, the Godox uh, speed light, and then a couple of like little tools that I'm using, like the Christmas tree lights or like lens flare sticks. And then, do you make a day bag when you go out? And then, yeah, a day bag. A day gotcha. Bag plus, uh, plus this camera bag. So it's like camping. It's like backpacking a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. Very, very heavy backpacks. So what else we got? Uh, so we have. I just bought this lens. Uh, this was. I, I just bought this two weeks ago. Um, I was using the Canon twenty four one hundred five, but it was the old one, and it just wasn't good enough. So I have changed to the Tamron after being so impressed with the uh, 150 to 600 and particularly the image stabilization and image quality. Uh, and I read reviews about this, which is the 2470 nice. F2.8. Uh, and it has image stabilization, which the Canon one doesn't have. Okay, yeah. So I just took my first shots on this the other day. So I, I don't want to say too much because I haven't looked at the images yet, but I've heard very good things. So this is my all-purpose lens. I wish I had it on my recent European wildlife tourism trip, but unfortunately I didn't. This is my workhorse, which is the the best thing I ever bought, which is the 1635. Is that L? Canon, yeah, yeah. 1635L. Very nice. Just a wonderful lens, and, and probably 60% of images you'll see on my website were taken with this. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. So that's Co- like close focus one. wide angle. Yeah. yeah. That, well, that's my main one, but it would be interesting to see when I start using the 20, uh, 2470, where, if I like that, then maybe that will become my, my main lens. Um, macro. Yeah, 100 mil. Uh, love, love, love for portraits. Oh, uh, nice. Le- let me see. If we go to... Um, where might some be? Galleries, maybe wildlife tourism... There's got to be some. Oh, actually, the one I showed you earlier of the orangutan with the Christmas tree lights, that was shot with the, yeah, that shot with 100 mil. 
Well, look, amazing. The quality. Prime lenses, as we, as we know, the quality is, mu is that much better. They're just not yeah. that, that practical for these sorts of um, jobs. So then if you go back to the galleries, I'll just give, give some examples of lenses that I'm using. Oh, no, sorry. Stay on wildlife tourism is fine. Um, oh, yeah, that snake. The snake. That snake was shot. Yeah, that's 100 mil macro. Um, and then uh, if you go up, oh, yeah, and then the orangutan in the middle, that's, no, sorry, not that one, the one above it. Yeah, that one, that's, uh, again, using that uh, close focus wide angle. So that's getting, I'm probably only a couple of feet away from this orangutan. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's, you're really seeing his world there. Yeah, that's crazy. That's probably all he sees. Like Yeah, that's all he's seen for the last 13 years. Unfortunately, he was rescued from the boxing shows in Thailand. Um, and then because there's nowhere to, to put these rescued orangutans, a lot of the time they end up languishing in, in cells like this or cages like this. Um, so the NGO who are, who are working, who have all of these rescued orangutans, are working to find them suitable release areas. But this is, is hugely uh, expensive, as you can imagine, and it's not... It's not so easy. You can't just take all these animals that were rescued from the wildlife tourism industry and then just release them into the wild because they would never survive. So a lot of the time, places that will take them on are, are, are left in this predicament of what you, what to actually do with the animals. Mm. Um, are so, they ever released well, they once can... they've gone through some sort of process or is it like they stay in this area that is monitored forever? Uh, they can go to pre-release sites uh, or like semi-wild locations. Um, so a shot that I took recently, which was, this is my favorite shot I've taken. Uh, if you go back to the galleries, oh no, I know that, um, the wildlife at the top. Okay. And down, down, down. That, yes. Okay. On the left. Yeah. That shot of the orangutan. Oh my goodness. Uh, mother and baby. So cute. Uh, so that was one of the, uh, rescued orangutans from Thailand and that, uh, that particular orangutan was actually suitable for release. So this is a semi-wild location. And then she just uh, gave birth to this little baby. I don't know if you can see the, the butterfly as well that's landed on the mother's head. Oh, I thought that was like a tag of some sort. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's awesome. crazy, right? Wow. So that's a nice uh, kind of story of hope there. And they, they do have all these other animals that they're hoping to put in these um, semi-wild locations soon. Very nice. Um, sorry, I digressed. Uh, so that was the 100 mil. Uh, and then 50 mil, of course. Like I say, if I could shoot everything on, on prime lenses, I would. Because yeah. the, the, the quality is so good. I have something in a dirty old sock. Oh, yes. Yes, this is another. This is a new lens that I haven't used yet as well. I just went back to the UK and stocked up. 35 mil F2. Can I see this? Yeah. 30, 35 F2. Because nice. I was shooting everything on my 16 to, to 35. Yeah. I was shooting a lot at 35 um and then i read really um good reports about about this lens and i was like well if you're shooting so much at 35 and then you can get even better quality with a prime lens yeah might as well let's give it a go it'll be interesting to see if it is uh, a big step up in quality from just using the 1635 which of course gives a lot more flexibility so do you run tests when you do that like will you shoot a test image of like a prime versus a uh a zoom yep. and you'll see okay yep. here, here's the artifacting here or so you don't get the light quality on this one and all this you know, i don't i'm not one of those hugely technical 
photographers. Yeah. I'm not, I'm I go by feel a lot and I I will just know if I take that lens out for a couple of days and I, I will just know what feels better. Totally. Yeah. So I'm not someone who is, you know, could tell you about lens dynamics and how they work and operate. I couldn't take it apart and put it back together again. I've got no idea, but I know what I like. Um and this is um this is a, a little again try just using slightly different techniques. So so this is here, have you heard of these? The Maya Optic? This is like no. from the 1950s. This is a lens here? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it gives this uh, soap bubble bokeh look to it. Um, so, yeah, the bokeh is all these tiny little circles and bubbles, which yeah. looks, looks really cool. So any light that is blurred out in the foreground or background will look a bit different with this one. And Well, everything looks uh, a little bit softer as well. It looks much more filmic. Awesome. I, I do sometimes find that these these lenses, oh, the new ones are so good. They're so sharp. Yeah. Whereas actually, again, with, with film, you want things to look a little bit softer and more forgiving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I would love to... Oh, I did take a shot with this. I can show you an example. If you go back to uh, wildlife tourism, it, you, might not, you might not even notice the difference. Scroll down. There should be a black and white baby orangutan. Um... Black and white baby orangutan. Maybe it's not on my website. It's a shame. It's a good shot. Should be. Oh. No. No. Okay. Sorry. Scrap that. It's a really good shot. I should put it on my website. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it looks like it's shot on film. I feel you. I, I shoot mostly film now. Um, I love the, the, the characteristics and the oddities of different stocks. And I like the, you know, the grunginess sometimes, you know, or you leave it out in the sun for a little too long and you get a look. I love that stuff. You know, otherwise it's like very clean um, and just like sterile and like this is it, you know. Sterile is a good way of putting it. Yeah, exactly. That's why I can, how I sometimes feel with the modern lenses. Um, but it's a, it's a lot more of a risk, yeah. isn't it? Because yeah. you can always make, you can always use Photoshop to make things look a little bit more vintage. Absolutely. Can't you? But you can't necessarily use uh, it to make it sharper yeah and i'm again i just do like random like oh that's a nice uh scene there i'll take my time and shoot this but if you're doing what you're doing like having a digital camera is like it's it's so necessary yeah yeah yeah, yeah completely so so that's why i always err on the on the side of caution sometimes if i have a little bit more time and i i want to experiment then i i might use that if you shot something you have to get it in the can first. yeah 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 in the can and then you can get creative. That makes this, sense. This is something I would really recommend to anyone who's watching this. Is that a little flash? Like, these that? are amazing. Oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, they're just uh, it's just little on camera, on camera video light. That's nice. Yeah, they're great, and you can. Um, so if you go to uh, again, I'm not sure if this will have been put up. Um, I'm not sure if it'll be up on my site yet. Uh, yeah, I just use it as a little spotlight. Um, I was just in the Czech Republic uh, photographing a python vet for a film I'm making about pythons and, and the exotic pet trade. Uh, and just, yeah, he was in an operating room and I just put this this light right above him and it gives that um, kind of studio feel, very stark. It's and super it's small. This, yeah, get a couple of these, place them in different places, use them to to accentuate something. You know, you want a bit of light on that. Or, yeah, very, it, it feels cool. like that thing's made of tank metal. Like you could just drop it and be all good. 
Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're 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 very sturdy. That's awesome. Um, so you don't need like crazy big setups. You you can just just get a bit inventive, and this was this maybe a hundred bucks, eighty bucks, something like that, and just a very um useful thing to have in your in your kit bag. Um, what else you got? That might be. I, I've taken a few things out, but I think yeah, some filters, you know, speed light, nothing. Nothing too exciting. I don't have my lighting bag with me, but uh, yeah, it should give you guys a sort of uh, general feel for what I have in there. Let's get this. It's always yeah, challenge trying to like walk through um, you know in a, an airport and be like, yeah, this doesn't weigh anything. <laughs> really nice and light. <sighs> yeah, and then when they catch you and they're like sixteen kilos. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to pack as light as possible is a, is a constant challenge yeah man uh aaron i really really appreciate you coming out here it's been cool learning about what you got in your bag and like all the different things that you have to go through to get the shots that you go through and everything and, and all the tips that you've given us that's um, really really uh well, thank, really awesome man thank you no i really appreciate um you talking to me about it this is something that i want to do is i want to spend a bit more time you can get really carried away just being out on location um and what i realize i need to do is become a little bit more commercial about it which is why i'm in america at the moment as, as well as making a film about pythons and the exotic petra but it's so we can meet people like yourself and um to try and make what i am doing uh, more of a commercial enterprise i suppose so like one thing that i'm looking at at the moment is um it's we're calling it an executive producer experience uh so what this is is a way of us because currently sitting on all these incredible stories that that need to be told yeah but the biggest challenge is is funding them um filmmaking as you know is, is not a cheap business uh, absolutely uh, not <laughs> when you take into account all, all your crew and, and travel and we always do everything we can to keep costs at a minimum like you would not believe the budgets that we can kind of work with so one way that we're looking to try and um, fund some of these is by bringing people on board uh, on our shoots. So it's like, okay, we are currently working on you know, this orangutan tourism film. We're working on a film about elephant conservation. We're, we're pitching a film about chimpanzee conservation, which is fascinating. It's such a fascinating story about what's happening to chimpanzees who are just being wiped out left, right, and center by you know traditional medicine, the exotic pet trade. Um, being you know deforestation so so we have sitting on all of these ideas so it's like okay well why not bring people out who can come on board with the film and they're executive producers on the project but actually they get to join us on shoot and have the experience of a lifetime oh that's so awesome they, they get to come to to the jungles of africa where we want to go to liberia and we want to go to guinea to to shoot this documentary about chimps or we want to, you know, we're about to go to a um, voodoo festival in Benin. Oh, my God. I'd be so Benin down. I'd be Togo. so down for that. Uh, yeah. So, oh, so man. you get people to, to come along and come on board. And their funding is um, helping us to, to tell these hugely important stories. And they get, of course, credits. And they get to have the experience of a lifetime. Where do people go to? Well, to, this is something this. I'm, I'm just developing at the moment. Yes. Part of the reason um, why I'm in LA. Um, so, but if people go to my website, which is just AaronJakowski.com, and just get in touch with me, we have a slate of projects that is changing all of the time. 
um, and really looking for people who might be interested in coming on board and who can actually help us get these out out there and come join us on on trips like I cannot even begin to tell you some of the experiences that we have whether you're face to face with a blue whale or whether you're releasing you know pangolins and orangutans in the jungles of Borneo or you're at this voodoo festival in Africa like this is this is kind of what I do and this is this is kind of my life and I would love to open this up to other people and for them to come and explore it and enjoy it with me that sounds incredible I I like to travel at least once a year outside of the country so I might be hitting you up on that as well come come <laughs> for sure for sure yeah absolutely absolutely and I'll, I can happily send you like more details of some of the projects that that we're working on and fantastic some, yeah it's not always um yeah I always have to like put that caveat in I'm like look things we do things in a very rustic way <laughs> like it often involves you know like uh, a very basic accommodation and, and food and traveling on buses across the continent and like whatever it's a story they're I'm not gonna certainly forget that not doing this for the money i can tell you that much like we if we can get a bit of budget to make a film we will make the film whatever whatever happens because i just want to tell these stories and like wildlife is being absolutely decimated left right and center we're in the midst of a sixth mass extinction event um you know whether it's exotic pets traditional medicine overfishing pollution like animals are being hit from all sides uh, so whatever we can do i think as uh, as filmmakers and photographers and working in the media to get these stories out there then let's you know let's let's do it that's awesome so I'd love to welcome you on on any shoots that we have. Absolutely, heck yeah, man! Any other any other places you wanna is AaronJakowski dot com. Um, any other like, spots? That that's the best place. Um, like I said, I'm a bit old school. I like to kind of keep my website quite updated, and that's the sort of central bulletin for my work. Um, but I am also on yeah on Instagram and uh, Facebook as well, whether it's a uh, personal or professional. Cool. Uh, then I use those are the platforms that I use the most. People just just drop me an email info at Aaron Chikoski.com. Aaron, thank you so much, man. Thank you. So I it's appreciate been a real it. pleasure. Thanks for coming to out. You.